in today's episode of the Black Museum. A blood-stained brick carries with it such vengeful thoughts, anger, lust, jealousy, and so many more emotional vices. And when used, feels just that bit heavier than one would perceive in blood-stained brick. And a brass button is a telltale sign that something horrible has happened to a young woman. One who lives a different lifestyle, condemned for the choices she made, and unknowingly her choice of words, in the tragedy of the Brass Button, read to you by Orson Welles. Now listeners, my big thanks goes to my awesome Ode Night Tea Titans, Matthew J. Bauer, the detective renowned for his attention to detail, with such cases closed as the Brass Knuckle, the dangerous butter knife, and the spoon that was also a fork. Nothing slips past this savant of detection. And Maya, the PI who is all know-how and no no-way attitude, her determination on cases like the rolling cabbage, the underwear bandito, and the Swiss cheese that had the Swiss stolen out of it. It's that determination that sets her apart. Thanks for being awesome and supporting this show at your level. You both are fantastic. There isn't an episode that goes by that I'm not thinking and thinking of both of you. Thanks a lot. And my two lovelies that are my white tea warlords, I own cows, part man, part heifer, who leads bovine bureau fearlessly, and Lee Bauer, in charge of division muscle, putting the criminals in jail and keeping them at arm's reach from the public. Thank you both for your lovely support. The comments and being bloody marvellous. And of course, my ill grey enforcers, Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Lorraine Grisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, Robert Fisher, and Tasha Moncrief. Thank you all for being so brilliant. Mate, sit back, get comfortable, and let's listen to some mystery, murder, mischief, and mayhem. Enjoy. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. The Black Museum. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of homicide. A museum of everyday objects. Cigarette boxes. Appointment books. A hat rack. All are touched by murder. Here's a brick there. <coughs> Coarse grained, rough edged, familiar. Perhaps your own home is built of bricks exactly like this one. In this case, however, no home was built by such a brick. Rather, a home was destroyed by it. Destroyed forever. It's still such a normal looking object, Inspector. Is it really? With that broken corner? With the stains still on its edges? I suppose you're right, sir. If there's one thing that can upset normalcy, it's spilt blood. And today, that blood-stained brick pad can be seen here in the Black Museum. <laughs> From the annals of the Criminal Investigation Department of the London Police, 
we bring you the dramatic stories of the crimes recorded by the objects in Scotland Yard's Gallery of Death, the Black Museum. Museum. Scotland Yard's Museum of Murder. Yes, here lies death. Upon these tables within these cabinets, the files of death, labeled with day and date and name of victim. Here's a hat rack. Odd to find such a commonplace object here, perhaps, but observe. Here where the wood curves from base to shaft, three brownish stains. Blood dripped here from a weapon concealed within the lining of an overcoat, three stains, which placed a murderer at the scene of crime. Broken alibi. That's another story. Here's our brick bath. Of such bricks are garden walls built. Later, the ivy or some such creeping vine grows over them, hiding the sharp edges, softening the four square contours. This brick, too, was meant for such bucolic purposes. But as it happened, things didn't work out that way. We might say it all began when young Anne Friskin composed an advertisement and told her much older husband, James, about it. So you're placing an advertisement. Wanted boy, about 18. References, handyman work. Some such thing. Exactly, dear. Oh, very good. Only don't let him get too close to Alma. It might not be good for A simple domestic scene. Wife cooperating with husband, or the other way around, if you prefer. Some small mention of the husband's cousin who stays with him. That's all. The advertisement appears in the usual help-wanted columns. Several young men apply. One is Dick Perry. Yes, ma'am, I've had some experience. During the summer at my uncle's place in Dorset. The money's all right? Oh, quite generous, ma'am. What with the room over the garage and all. <laughs> well, your references seem quite good. And a good school report, too. settled into his job and worked out well. The gravel driveway was soon in good condition. The lawns were well mowed. The bricks were ordered for the repair job on the garden wall. Yes, the bricks were ordered. In the household, all was well and quite normal. One more hand, ladies. If you wish, James. Aren't you satisfied with beating us again, dear? I, I suppose I should be. But it must be somewhat dull for you, Anne, dear, night after night with just Almer and me. In the household, we said all was well and quite normal. Undercurrents? If you look for them, perhaps otherwise a retired well-to-do gentleman in a suburban London home, living quite happily with his lovely young wife and his cousin Almer. Still, one never knows, does one? Good morning, Dick. Oh, oh, the work is coming well, isn't it? Yes. Lovely day, isn't it? Nothing quite like the springs we get here, is there? Awfully quiet there. Yes. Yeah. I suppose it is. For someone your age. Begging your pardon, Mum. It doesn't seem to me like you'd be giving up this yet. Oh, thank you, Dick. It's nice of you to say so. Um, 
Aren't you getting those bricks a trifle uneasily? Ah, that's on purpose, ma'am. It's a trick I learned from my uncle. It gives the creepers and vines and such a better hold. It's clever. You do know your work, don't you? I hope so, ma'am. person likes to do his work where he's appreciated. Well, you are. No fear about that. And just to prove it, come up to the house, Nathan. We'll see about finding you a nice cold drink. On a warm day like this, a cold drink will... No, after all, it's quite natural, isn't it? You'd do as much for your help, wouldn't you? No one would think anything of it. No one did in the Friskin household either until these trips for the long, cool drinks became somewhat habitual. At which point Alma spoke to Anne. Do you really think you're doing the proper thing, Anne? Of course, it's none of my business, I suppose, but... What are you driving at? That boy. He's an excellent worker. People will talk. About what, pray? Oh, nothing. But people will talk about nothing, you know. And if James should hear from the wrong person... Please be explicit, Alma. I don't happen to have a devious mind. It's quite simple. James is past middle age. You're young, vital. The boy is undeniably attractive with that flaming hair and all. And he is up here at the house quite a good deal. And you're suggesting... No, of course not. I am merely pointing out to you how it can look to the neighbors. Frankly, I don't care. Please don't bring the subject up again, Alma. I refuse to discuss it with you. Alma did not bring up the subject again. Not with Anne. However, she waited for an opportunity and then... James. Yes, Alma? I... I want to talk to you. Aren't we rather formal today? Closed doors and all that sort of thing? I'm not speaking behind anyone's back. I've already taken this up with Anne. Oh? What's the trouble? It's that boy, Dick Terry. Dick? Alma, don't tell me he's been making advances. That's not funny, James. Oh, sorry. What then? Anne is letting him spend too much time at the house. His place is in the garden and the garage. People will talk. Aren't you doing a bit of talking yourself, Alma? I'm doing my duty as I see it. Then you've mistaken your duty. I'm fully capable of protecting my honor, as you doubtless would call it. And I'll thank you, Alma, not to bring this up again. Although, doubtless, you have the best intentions in the world. Very well, James. But if anything does occur, you will thank me for warning you. Yes, Alma awaited her opportunity and spoke to James. That worthy and decent gentleman dismissed the incident from his mind. That should have been the end of it. Unfortunately, however, the whole matter was reopened in quite a different quarter. Good morning, Dick. Morning, Mum. Oh, the hedge does look nice. Thank you, Mum. Is anything wrong, Dick? Matter of fact, I'm giving notice. Why, Dick? But why? I'm giving notice. But what's wrong? Have I done something? Or is it about your money? Because if so, I'll speak to Mr. Friskin at once. Don't bother, ma'am. I'm leaving. Call it wanderlust. Call it anything you like. Dick. Dick, look at me. Oh, do stop tipping that hedge and look at me. Yes, ma'am? I insist on knowing what's wrong. I thought you were happy here. I know I've been happy to have you here. I'd rather not... All right, ma'am, but... You asked for it. I asked for what? It's you, Mum. I'm crazy seeing you day in and day out and having you nice to me. Just nice to me and thinking of you with him and me not having the ghost of a chance. I can't stand it, Mum, that's all. You'll have to let me go. Poor Dick. 
You've held this inside you all this time? Yeah. Oh, Dick, I'm so sorry. So terribly sorry. Come here. Fire in the garden. Flash fire in dry grass on a warm summer morning. Perhaps in any case. The boy stayed on his job and nothing further was said in the household. Everything was routine. Quite normal. Even the bridge games in the evening. Three-handed bridge, of course. July moved on into August. Hot, muggy August night. Well, I went up to bed. Coming in? Uh, oh, uh, not just yet, dear. I think I'll read a while. It may be cooler in the library. Good night, dear. Good night, then. Good night, Alma. Good night. A hot, muggy August night. Dark. No moon. Barely a breath of air. James tossed restlessly. Sleeplessly. And that you end coming to bed, dear? No, 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 no! Well, today, that brick bat can be seen here in the Black Museum. Let's break from the Black Museum. It was Anne's screams which brought Alma and then some of the neighbors. James was not dead, but nearly so. The doctor, Dr. Kinder was his name, examined his patient and proceeded quite efficiently via the telephone. That's right. The ambulance at once with oxygen equipment. I want the operating theater ready, anesthetist, nurses, and my assistant. Friskin has a badly fractured skull, and with his heart condition, he has about one chance in a hundred to live. Hurry. I'll wait for the ambulance. Now, the police. Police? Well, no. A man is attacked, half murdered in his bed with a heavy instrument of some kind, and you question my calling the police. Oh, if only I'd gone upstairs with him. If only I'd gone upstairs. If you had. Operator, ring through to the police, please. Hurry. Oh, to walk in like that, to find him there, the blood. Oh, his poor head <laughs> breathing, that awful dust. This is Dr. Kinder. Let me speak to the superintendent, please. Dick. Where's Dick? Yes. Where's Dick? No one had missed the boy until Anne thought of him. With all the excitement, all the horror, no one had realized he was missing. Dr. Kinder finished talking to the superintendent of police and turned back to the two women. The superintendent is sending an inspector Ralph. Very good man, he says. CID. CID? Criminal Investigation Division. Yeah. Did I hear you mention someone named Dick? Yes, Dick Terry. He's the... Uh... The hired man. Well, more of a boy than a man. He has a room over the garage. And he isn't in the house? He hasn't been here? No. The neighbors came, but not Dick. Oh, perhaps I'd better fetch him. No, uh, stay here. The police will find him. The police will find him. They did find him, but in his room over the garage. Where was he, Sergeant? In the attic, Inspector. Hiding in a corner. Uh, all right, son, speak up. Why? I, I, I got scared. That's it, scared. What of? I heard Anne, uh, Mrs. Friskin, screaming, and I ran over from the garage, and when I got up to the room where the lights were on, Miss Galpin was carrying on, and Mrs. Friskin was just standing there screaming, and he, 
He was on the bed and I just ran. You didn't offer to help. Why not? I, I, I couldn't think. Nothing. Why? I, I, I guess I didn't want to be blamed for doing it. Well, who would blame you? Oh, somebody. Anybody. Did you do it? No. I never touched him. Never. All right, Sergeant. Hold him in the kitchen. Uh, I'll talk to the Galpin woman now. What is she, a companion or something? Cousin of the victim, sir. Lives here. Uh, all right, send her in. Alma Galpin knew nothing except the discovery of her cousin in the bedroom. But the inspector was curious. The hired boy says he was scared. Have you any idea why? Well, he's been making sheep's eyes at my cousin's wife. Oh? People were talking. He's a good-looking boy. She's so much younger than poor James. You know how an ignorant mind works sometimes? The inspector knew. Also, he was a considerate man. He implied as much to Anne Friskin. I know you've had a terrible shock to that, Mrs. Friskin. But I have to ask you a few questions. Of course, Inspector. Did your husband have any enemies? Anyone who might want him out of the way? Oh, no. No one. Everyone liked James. Even the boy, Dick Terry? Dick? Oh, oh no. No, you don't think that Dick... I don't know yet. But we'll have to hold him, Mrs. Friskin. He seems to have something of a motive. At least, there seems to have been some talk. They held Dick Terry on an open charge pending developments at the hospital. There, James Friskin hung on the fringe of death, barely breathing, completely unconscious. At the house, Alma faced Anne. The police, what do they know? I don't understand. They're holding the boy. They're not even looking for the weapon. And meanwhile, whoever did it could be miles away. Then you don't think Dick did it? It's too passive. Of course not. Why would he? Even, even... You never gave him any encouragement, did you, Alma? Did you? You're hysterical. I know exactly what I'm saying. And I don't believe that boy raised a finger against James. Then, then why did he hide? Wouldn't you, in his position? The police arrest the most obvious person? That's all they know. Someone ought to teach them their business. Obviously, they don't. Well, there are those who would like to teach the police their business. Quite a few people would. Alma Galpin set out to try. And it was with that idea in mind that she appeared in Inspector Ralph's office at the local station house. Well, Miss Galpin, sit down, will you? Thank you. What can I do for you? How far have you got in this case, Inspector? We're still holding the boy. The only charge at the moment is assault. If your cousin dies, well, that'll be another matter. Uh, then you've done nothing. For the moment. I see. I brought you this. No. Why don't you open it? As you wish. Oh, I see. A brick bat with stains on it. Don't you want to have it checked for fingerprints? Rough surfaces like this don't hold prints. Why? It's for weapons. Oh? How do you know? I found it. It was in the little pile of leftover bricks at the foot of the garden. James, James was going to ask the boy to build a barbecue pit with them. I see. How do you know so surely this is the weapon? That's blood on it, isn't it? Might be. Aren't you going to have it tested? Probably. Miss Galpin, 
Do you realize that this brick might be the piece of evidence to hang that boy? It might be. It might hang someone else, too. Is this a charge, Miss Galvin? Who stands to gain most? Who would have her freedom? Who would get James' money? Have you thought of that, Inspector? Who wanted the brick wall repaired? Who spent altogether too much time in the garden? In the offices on the floor above Dick Terry's cell, Inspector Ralph and Sergeant Hopkins were more interested in facts than in phrases. The pathology reports that Friskin's blood type on that brick. It's the weapon, all right. But who used it? The boy had a crush on the wife. Bad enough to kill for her? Oh, I doubt it. There aren't any alibis, sir. That's the trouble. He says he went to bed as usual. No one saw him anywhere that night. The Galpin woman says she went to bed. The widow says she read for a while, went upstairs, and found her husband. Could, could all three of them be near together, sir? How do you figure that, Sergeant? Well, Mrs. Friskin could have promised Galpin money, and Mrs. Friskin would have had the boy. They might have planned to have the boy actually do it. Come in. I'm... I'm sorry, Inspector. Not at all, Mrs. Friskin. Come in. Sit down. I believe you know Sergeant Hopkins. No. Yes. I, uh, I have very little to say. It, uh, it might be easier standing. As you wish, ma'am. I, uh, I just saw Dick downstairs. Too bad about him. He seemed a nice man. Inspector, this, this is not the easiest thing for a woman. I understand. You have an alibi for the boy and yourself. Yes. Yes, I do. The inspector was an understanding gentleman. He offered no comment. He merely recorded a fact and let Anne Friskin leave his office with her own thoughts for company. Later that same day, he arrived with Sergeant Hopkins in tow at the Friskin house. Ladies, we've done some further checking and investigation. We thought we'd apprise you of the situation. I see. Thank you for that, at least. We're letting the boy go. He's in the chair. I knew that all along. I told you so. Yes, you did. I remember the day you brought me the brickbat. Ah, where did you find it? In the pile at the foot of the garden. I see that you know, Mrs. Friskin. There is no pile of bricks at the garden. It happens to be in the rear yard, near the back door, close to the foot of the back stairs. The stairs which reach the second floor quite close to the door of your room, Miss Galpin. Now, Sergeant, if you'll stay quite close to Miss Galpin and take down what she has to say. Taken down and may be used as evidence. Yes, the usual warning. Well, Miss Galpin, why did you kill your cousin, Miss Galpin? She had everything. Even the boy with his sheep's eyes. I had nothing. I thought if I got rid of James, who was too dull to care, she'd be blamed. After her, I'm next of kin. I'd have everything. I saw the little pile of bricks. I meant to put them in the garden later. A brick is heavy. It hits hard! <laughs> Today, the brick pad can be seen here, 
in the Black Museum. They put Alma Galpin safely away, where she could harm neither others nor herself. Dick Terry left that pleasant suburb of London and dropped into the anonymity one can find only in a great city. Anne Friskin sold the house and went far from London to start over, perhaps, but to carry with her always the memory of tragedy on the hot, muggy night. The memory of a mistake made through loneliness and mistaken kindness. Now, until we meet next time, in the same place, another story about the Black Museum. I mean, as always, obediently yours. This is Orson Welles, speaking from London. Here in the grim stone structure on the Thames, which houses Scotland Yard, is a warehouse of souvenirs, where everyday objects, a candlestick, a china doll, a broom, all are touched by murder. Now take this button, this brass button, the symbol of a barracks parade ground, but this was not found on any parade ground. This is interesting, sir. A brass button. Very interesting, Sergeant. It's from an army uniform. Today, that button can be seen in the Black Museum. shelf of curious and repellent objects, the urge to kill illustrated in many, many ways. Here lies death. Here in the echoing stillnesses of the long room, one stands and looks at violence, expressed by the exhibits that line the shelves, the tables, and the walls. Repellent they may be, but by reason of their association only, for most of these tokens of murder are very ordinary objects. A medicine bottle. The drug it contained was beneficial in small doses. But since a woman was forced to drink the whole contents and died shortly after, the jury called it murder. Here's a kitchen knife. No household is without one. But this knife was not used solely for kitchen tasks. It was found embedded in a man's heart. Here we are, the brass button. It is. It's an innocuous, ordinary brass button. This was found near the dead body of a woman. But come back with me to the beginning of this story, to a day some years ago on the common outside the Kentish village of Wayfield. A girl was sitting beneath a tree, busily sketching. She was too engrossed to hear the approach of a young soldier until he spoke. Hello? Oh. Hello, a little. I didn't hear you coming. Oh, I made enough, Ralph. You were so busy with whatever you're doing. What are you doing? 
sketching. Can I see? You'll probably laugh. No, I won't. Show me. Hmm. That's very good. Do you really think so? That's fine. You must be the one they call the swamp girl. That's what they call me in the village. Poor, routine, dull people. You don't like routine ways of living, do you? From what I've heard, you're something of a rebel. Am I? Hmm. You seem to know a lot about me. Oh, I've heard things. What kind of things? About how you live in an old shanty at the edge of the swamp and how you roam the common and sketch and paint. You're well informed. People talk about you sometimes. I was interested. And so you came down to see it yourself. What's the matter? Couldn't you find a girl in town? Don't say that. I wanted to meet you. To talk to you. And now that you have, will you please go away and let me work? Oh, you can work any time. I'll go away soon. If you're nice to me. Go now. I've no intention of being nice to you, whatever you may think. Come on. Get away. When you found out so much about me, you might have also found out that I'm not interested in men. Least of all, soldiers. That's not very kind. Come here. You. Go away. Come here. No. No. Please, please don't hurt me. No, please. No. A woman screamed and cried for help on the Wayfield Common. But there was no one within a mile to hear her screams. Two days later in the post office at Wayfield, a letter was returned by the postmistress. Mrs. Riley? Yes, Jimmy? Uh, that registered letter you sent me out with, there, uh, there was nobody about to sign for it. There wasn't a swamp girl at home. No, ma'am. I called out Miss Morgan, but there wasn't any answer. All right. You can deliver it tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. Her name was Jeanette Morgan. The people of the town called her the Swamp Girl. Because of a vagrant, strange way of living. The next day, Jimmy, the postal messenger, rode out on his bike to deliver the registered letter. But once again, the swamp girl was not at home. Then, on the way back, taking a shortcut, Jimmy found her. Miss Morgan! Jimmy saw only her legs at first protruding from a bush, which had been meant to hide her. At first, he thought she was asleep. We didn't think so for long. She, she, she's dead. I've got to get the police. Murder transforms a little village like Wayfield. All work ceases. The people gather in small groups in the streets to talk about it. Here, have you heard the news? There's been a murder. Hey. A murder? Yes, out on the common. Who? The swamp girl. They found her body. I was rather afraid that poor girl would come to grief sooner or later. Well, Vicar, you know how it is these days. No parental authority. Ah, more's the pity. Be that as it may, the man who did it must be found. You know, Bert... If young Jimmy Miles hadn't come upon that body like he did, it might have lain there hidden for months, even years. I wonder how it happened. Well, now, the way I see it is this. Now in the bar of the local, 
They sipped their beer and discussed the sensation. Jimmy became something of a hero. He'd found the body and even now is being questioned by the London detectives from Scotland Yard. Uh, this is uh, Jimmy Miles, sir. Hello, Jimmy. You found the body, I understand. Uh, uh, yes, Inspector Gallico. Was she really murdered, sir? Well, that's what we must find out. And you can help us. Oh, really? How? I believe you rode out to her shanty at the edge of the swamp to deliver a registered letter to Miss Morton. Yes, that's right, sir. She used to get a registered letter every month. I always took them out. And she had to sign for them, of course. Oh, yes. Then you got to know her, I suppose. Well, don't tell the postmistress, but sometimes I did stay and talk for a while. Uh-huh. And what was she like? Oh, she, she was nice, uh, really friendly. People said she was a bit peculiar, but I never thought so. And she could draw, sir. Now, think carefully, Jimmy. Did you ever see her with anyone, man or woman? Oh, never, Inspector. She had no friends around here. She once told me, sir. Mm, no friends, I see. Now, about this registered letter, was that the first time you had taken it out? Oh, no, sir. I went out the previous day, uh, on Monday, but she wasn't there. Did you call out? Yes, and I, I went round the common, to the places where she used to go and sketch. I know most of them. And she wasn't anywhere about? No, nowhere at all. What time of the day was this? Well, I, I just left the post office just on 10. It's about half an hour's ride. Oh, you were out there by 10.30. Hmm. All right, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Uh, is that all, Inspector Gallico? Well, that's all for the moment. You've been very helpful. A lucky witness, young Jimmy Miles. A break for Inspector Gallico early in the case. For with the evidence of the police surgeon, certain facts could be established. What's your verdict on the post-mortem, Doctor? Well, the cause of death didn't give us any trouble, Inspector. She was strangled. What about the time of death? Hmm, that's not so easy. I'd say she died 48 hours ago, at least. Wait a minute. That means before noon on Monday. It ties in, Doctor. Good. But at what time before noon, I would not care to predict. The contents of the stomach indicate she'd had breakfast. And sometime between breakfast and noon, she met her death. And she was nowhere about 10.30 when the postal boy brought her her letter. What about that letter, Sergeant? Uh, uh, I have it here, sir. Who is it from? It's from uh, Mrs. Morgan of Tunbridge Wells, her mother. Money, I suppose. Uh, Ten pounds, sir. And a plea to come home and live a normal life. Poor Mrs. Morgan. Her daughter couldn't even die a normal death. The pattern of the crime begins to make itself clear. The victim's identity is known. The approximate time and the cause of death is known. Now the hunt will begin for the killer. Here is a police message. The body of a woman named Jeanette Morgan has been discovered on Wayfield Common. Evidence suggests that she met her death by strangulation sometime before noon on October the 19th. Any person who was in the vicinity of Wayfield Common on that day or can give any information, should communicate with the nearest police station in order to assist in the search for the murderer. And in this, the police will be aided by a brass button. That same brass button that today can be found in the Black Museum. To a small cottage in Tunbridge Wells now go the detectives from Scotland Yard. To a house with the blinds drawn where a thin, bitter woman answers their questions in a strangely lifeless voice. 
Yes, I knew. I knew it was Jeanette when I saw the newspapers. Why didn't you get in touch with us, Mom? I knew you'd get in touch with me if you wanted me. Besides, what business is it of mine? But she was your daughter. Was she? Jeanette's younger sister lives here with me. Works at a shop nearby. She's my daughter. Yes, I see what you mean. I warned her. I told her it had come to no good end. Giving that strange and unnatural kind of way. Mrs. Morgan, we won't trouble you any longer, but could you tell us, did your daughter have any close men friends? Men friends? Yes. Jeanette? I wish she had. But a boyfriend would have been too ordinary for her. She had to be different. She had to be the swamp girl. I'm sorry. Why did it have to happen to her? To me? Why? 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 Good evening. Uh, good evening, Vicar. I'm from the police. The police? I don't recognize you. Uh, no, sir. You see, I'm not from the local police. Uh, I'm from London. I'm down here in connection uh, with the murder. Oh, yes, terrible, yes. But uh, how can I help you? Well, you can help a good deal, sir. You see, the local police are pretty short-handed, and Inspector Gallagher has decided that our next move should be to make a very thorough search of the common, uh, particularly round about where the body was found. Oh, I, I see. And I suppose you want some help from my parishioners? Yes, sir, that's uh, roughly the idea. Ah, very well, then. We'll help you in every way we can. You can depend upon us. All right, Sergeant. Let's get on with the search. Very good, sir. You yes. take Smart and work in from the road. All right, I'll sir. take Rogers and work in from the field side. I'll meet you by the ditch. Yes, that'll be all right, sir. Yes. Here's a... Here's a, a sketch, sir. It's a pencil drawing of the... That view across there, I'd say, sir. Yes, it is. Unfinished, too. She might have been working on it. What else have you got there? Uh, this is interesting, sir. It's a brass button. Very interesting, Sergeant. It's from an army uniform. Uh-huh. Where's the nearest camp to Wayfield? I believe there's one across the river, sir, about uh, two miles away. Inspector Gallico left his sergeant in charge of searching the common and went to the army camp to enlist the help and cooperation of the commanding officer. Gentlemen, to see you, sir, from Scotland Yard. Oh, uh, ask him to come in, will you, Captain? Yes, sir. Uh, will you come through, please? Thank you. Major Curtis. I'm Inspector Gallico from Scotland Yard. Oh, how do you do, Inspector? Sit down, won't you? Oh, no. How can I help you, Inspector? I'm here to investigate the murder of uh, Jeanette Morgan. Oh, the swamp girl mystery. Yes. Yes, tragic business. Major, not far from where the body was left, we found this... An army button. That's why I'm here. I see. Well, I'd be glad to assist in any way I can, but... Uh... Permit me to hope that it wasn't any one of my men. How many men are there in camp here, Major? Well, at the present time, our unit's strength is 120. We're an engineer section, as you may know. 120 men, huh? Mm-hmm. I wonder if any of them has a button missing from his tunic. 
Well, if you wish, I'll order an immediate inspection. Not yet, sir. You can assist me in another way first. Oh? How, Inspector? Well, I want a list of all those absent from camp on Monday morning. Oh, that should be easy. There's no leave on any week morning. If anyone was away from camp, it must have been for a special reason. Anyone at all. Between the hours of seven in the morning and one o'clock. Well, the adjutant can help us, though. I'll get him to make out a list of all those away from camp on Monday morning immediately. The commanding officer was away a short time, and on his return, he brought with him a piece of paper containing a list of names. He gave it to the London detective. Yes, there you are, Inspector. Five men were away from camp during the time you asked about. Mm. Sergeant Willis, A company. Yes, he's our caterer at the present time. We're understaffed, of course. Sergeant Willis and Private Fields were in town with a provision truck. They were together? Yes, uh, we could always check that with one or the other. I don't think I'm very interested in those two. Oh? What about Private Liston, B Company? Oh, he's the unit driver. I, uh, I sent him into town shortly before noon. <clears throat> On a private errand. Shortly before noon? <clears throat> well, that leaves two. Corporal Paul Ferris? Oh, he's our mailman. He leaves every morning at eight o'clock and drives the mail truck in to pick up the unit mail bag. From the Wayfield Post Office, I suppose? Yes. What time does he generally return? Oh, sometimes by nine. Though on occasions he has to wait for registered mail, you know. I've even known him to be held up as late as eleven or, or even eleven-thirty. Would anyone know what time he returned on Monday? I'll find that out for you. Now, this last man, Private Williams, A Company. Yes, if you ask me, he might be your man, Inspector. Oh, why, sir? Because he was absent without leave. From 900 hours on Monday morning until 1,400 hours. From nine till two. Yes. Mm. That's interesting. I'd better see him. And the postal chappy. I'll have him paraded. Corporal Ferris? Private Williams? This is Inspector Gallico from Scotland Yard. He has some questions to ask you both. Thank you, sir. Corporal Ferris, we'll take you first. Yes, Inspector. What time did you leave camp last Monday morning on your mail run? At 800 hours, sir. And what time did you return? Well, I, uh, if I remember correctly, the mail was brought round rather late that morning, Corporal. Yes, sir. I was just about to explain to the inspector. I had to wait for several registered letters. What time did you actually return? Uh, shortly before 1100 hours, sir. Thank you, Corporal. Now, Private Williams, um, you were absent without leave throughout Monday morning. Yes, sir. Are you able to give a satisfactory account of your whereabouts? I'd uh, prefer not to, sir. Private Williams has consistently refused any explanation of his conduct, Inspector. Well, that's rather unwise, Williams. If you have an alibi, you'll need it. This is an investigation into murder. Murder? I didn't do no murder. I was with me girl in Wakefield. Ah. What's her name? Hey, Susie Walker, Nine High Street. You asked her if I wasn't there. Oh, I didn't want to get her into any trouble, you understand, that's all. But murder? Oh, I don't know nothing about the girl who was killed. Honest, I don't. Well, we'll check your statement, Williams. I've finished with them now, sir. Corporal Ferris? Private Williams? Dismiss. Inspector Gallico drove into Wayfield to number nine High Street. Oh, no. Susie wasn't out with him that day. I remember it distinctly. She went over to see her girlfriend at Kenbury. Well, you can ask her yourself. Susie Walker was a small, frightened girl. The counterpart of Private Williams. Oh, Inspector. I hope he hasn't done anything wrong up at the camp. 
and not telling them where he was. Oh, that would be terrible. He wouldn't tell a lie, I know that. I'm sure of it. You see, he had a quarrel, and he wanted to see me. I didn't dare let Mother know, so I made up a story about it. She confirmed his alibi, and Gallagher went next to the post office to interview Mrs. Riley. Just one inquiry I'd like to make, Mrs. Riley. Oh, anything at all, Inspector. Anything. To think of that poor girl. And my Jimmy Miles finding a body. Mrs. Riley, uh, can you recall offhand whether you had any registered mail for the army unit on Monday? Mm, registered mail on Monday. Well, I couldn't remember offhand, Inspector, but I'll have it here in the book. Wait a minute and I'll look it up. No. No, there was nothing on Monday. There hasn't been a registered letter for the army since last week. Then the postal corporal wouldn't have been delayed on Monday morning. Oh, not him. He was in for his mailbag and out again quick as you like. Didn't even stop for a chat. I remember that now. What time would he have left here, Mrs. Riley? Can you give me any idea? I can give it to you right on the dot. It's come back to me quite plainly. We open at 830 Corporal Ferris was here waiting when I arrived to open up. It's thirty, And he didn't stay? No, not more than a few minutes. The inspector picked up Sergeant Worthington and together they drove back to the army camp. A few orders from the commanding officer and Corporal Ferris was paraded once more and his gear searched. At the bottom of his kit bag they found what they were looking for. Uh, here we are, Sif. A baffle jacket with one button missing. And it matches, Sergeant. Arthuris, what have you got to say about this? Crazy, sir. I don't know anything about it. She was sketching, wasn't she, Ferris? She drew a pencil drawing of you, isn't that so? You're bluffing. She didn't do any drawing of me. It was a landscape scene. A landscape scene, yes, so it was. And that fact has never been mentioned in any of the papers. Only the sergeant and I knew that, Ferris. And the killer. Paul Ferris was taken into custody and charged with the murder of Jeanette Morgan, the swamp girl. Silence! In court! Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have heard the facts in this case as related by the witnesses which have been called, both by the defense and the prosecution. The prisoner stands before you accused of the crime of murder, a particularly brutal murder, a murder without motive. But lack of motive is not necessarily a defense. It is for you to decide whether the facts which you have learned during this case not only the words spoken by the witnesses, but the mute testimony of the material objects placed before you justify your verdict, which must be beyond all reasonable doubt. The brass button and a slip of the tongue led to his downfall. Today, that brass button occupies a place of honor in the Black Museum. The picture was completed when the tracks of a vehicle were found some 50 yards away from the scene of the crime. 
The tracks were identified as those of the mail truck of which the driver had been Corporal Paul Ferris. The defense did their utmost to prove insanity, but the jury were in little doubt that the man was sane and that his advances repulsed he'd strangled the swamp girl to death. They took 17 minutes to find him guilty, and the brass button which had led to his arrest was Exhibit A on the courtroom table, from where at the end of the trial and the pronouncement of the inevitable death sentence, it was taken to its present resting place in the Black Museum. And now until we meet next time in the same place, and I tell you another story about the Black Museum, I remain, as always, obedient to yours. Mates, both these episodes from the Black Museum were really easy listening and enjoyable. In the second story in particular, there was, strangely enough, a lot of boom mic sound and a couple of mistakes, but look, you wouldn't know because I cut them out. Goes to show that even back then, stuff like that still happens. We had mystery, we had jealousy, and also murder in the mix today. Well written, good pacing, and solid storytelling with a little twist on the first one. Yep, talk about a great way to ease you in to today's week ahead, right? This Wednesday, I'm going to work on the last part of Drunk Tank, as it turns out there is one other story that I missed that I'd love to share with you all. And this Friday, I'll spice things up a little. So tune in then. And to you, the awesome listener on the other end, thank you for listening. I won't keep you from your next episode. As always, till next. We make.